My name, can you all hear me? My name is Joseph Williams. I am a hospice chaplain in Modesto. And I have been, can you turn on the screen for me? I have been one of these kids. I've been in every type of education there is. Whether it was special education, juvenile detention hall education, dropped out of college, and the investment that we make today, you might not see the return on the investment, but it will have a return. Can you sow into someone without caring who gets the credit? When I was one of these young boys and girls, people were telling me I couldn't do X, Y, and Z because of where I lived and because of who my parents weren't. But now, <laughs> sending you messages on Facebook saying, I see you're doing good. I said, well, you know, 12 years ago, but the people who didn't sow into you, you will have a chance to be a witness for God for them. We'll see how in the sermon this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we thank you for education. Because, Lord, in this world, there are no get-quick-rich schemes. The way to better ourselves is either to be able to throw a curveball, <laughs> put a, a ball through a hoop, run some track. We have to be athletically gifted and make money with our bodies. But, Lord, we want to also be able to make money with our mind. So when our body goes, we'll still be able to have income. Not just for us, but for your kingdom and for our children's children. Father, we ask that you open our hearts and speak to them as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. The Oklahoma City Thunder is an extremely young team. But they were defeated by the heat of Miami in the 2012 NBA Finals. Not for lack of talent, but for lack of maturity. Oklahoma City Thunder were a franchise that relocated from Seattle. And when they went to Oklahoma City, they changed their name from the Sonics to the Thunder. They drafted Kevin Durant in 2007. They drafted Russell Westbrook in 2008. They drafted James Harden in 2009, and they began to run up and down the court, and they were labeled as up and coming. They were up and coming when they lost to the Los Angeles Lakers in the second round of the Western Conference Finals in 2010. And the only reason why they lost is because Paul Gasol got the tip in. They were up and coming when they lost in the 2011 Western Conference Finals to the Dallas Mavericks. They were labeled as up and coming. Uh, and this year, they, they were up and coming when they beat the Lakers, when they beat the Mavericks easily in the 2012 Western Conference Finals. Then in the finals, they weren't up and coming anymore. 
but they had announced to the world that they went from up and coming to having arrived. They had arrived, but they were young and inexperienced and untrained. After all, the San Antonio Spurs had won 20 straight games. And you could hear all of the old timers saying, they don't play the game the way it's supposed to be played. These youngins haven't paid their dues yet. And so it seemed it was the case when the Spurs went up two zip, uh, but, then the, but then the next four games, those who were labeled as too young, too inexperienced and untrained, all of a sudden the cream rose to the top. No longer were they too young, too youthful, and too inexperienced. The Oklahoma City Thunder, no longer were they untrained. They had achieved success. They did the impossible, and they won before it was their time. They had achieved success because they used the antagonism as being labeled as too young. They used it as fuel for their success. But they combined the wisdom of their use with the wisdom of the older generation of Derek Fisher. <laughs> or so they tried. They tried to combine it with their talent and their youth. I believe that's the formula for success in Christian education. It is cooperation, not competition, that will equip our students for success. But we're going to see how in this message entitled, Haters and Elevators. Haters and Elevators. Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. And I'll read verses 1 through 7 in your hearing. I'm reading from the New International Version of the Bible. If you don't have it, it's also on the screen. And the Bible says, The company of the prophets went to Elisha, saying, Look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan where each one of us can get a pole. And let us build a place there for us to live. And he said, go. Then one of them said, won't you please come with your servants? And Elisha replied, I will. And he went with them. They went to the Jordan and, beg and began to cut down trees. As one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe had fell into the water, and he cried out, Oh, my Lord, it was borrowed. And the man of God said, Where did it fall? When he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it there and made the iron float. And he said, Lift it out. And the young man reached out his hand and took it. Civil War. It's when... Two groups of people who are often brothers and sisters and who live side by side begin to battle. They occupy the same land, but they have conflict. Civil war is not a war from invaders from the outside. It happens when people who live next to each other cannot get along. Israel has been in civil war for over 100 years, and God is fed up. The civil war has religious causes, yes, but it is also related to generational and, generational and emotional conflict. It's not an invasion from the outside, it's an invasion from the inside. And the invasion is competition between the young and the old. Second Kings chapter four and five, we see that God uses the old and the young, men and women, boys and girls, to accomplish his purposes. In chapter four, he uses a widow to show faith in chapter 4, he also uses a Shunammite mother to demonstrate perseverance. 
in chapter 5 where a Naaman is a leper and he receives a referral for a prophetic consult from a young girl to get hydrotherapy treatment from the cold rivers of Jordan. God uses men, women, boys, and girls. It doesn't matter the age, the sex, of the gender. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Take my hands, Lord. Take my feet. Lord, take my heart, Lord. Speak through me. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. But it's in the midst of civil war between Judah and Israel. In 2 Kings chapter 6, that a group of young men called the sons of the prophets, they say to Elijah, look, the place where we meet with you was too small for us. Let's go to the Jordan where each of us can get a, get a pole and let us build a place there for us to meet. And he says, go. At the, at the end of chapter 5, Elisha fires Gehazi, his right-hand man, a young man who's in his apprenticeship program, who has an issue with greed, and he ends up getting fired and struck with leprosy. Hi, if you're like me, and you realize that your teacher just struck somebody with leprosy, you're not going to go to him and mess with him. You're going to leave. You're going to transfer schools. But these young men have courage to come to a man who learned under a prophet who caught fire down from heaven. These young men have courage to come to a man who summoned bears to come out of the forest to kill their friends and their homies. They have courage. They have courage to come to a man who just downsized his internship program with his most promising trainee. These young men have courage and confidence because they know that their teacher is a prophet. Elisha is called a seer, which means he, it means he has the ability to see non-discernible things. Elisha is a teacher who does not teach according to his own lesson plans, but his instructive concepts and his didactic materials come from the throne of God. These young men come to Elisha and essentially say, our dormitory is too small. They don't call an engineer or call a building inspector. They don't call CNN to complain about their living conditions. They don't do like I would do. They would take pictures of their dilapidated bathrooms and post them on Facebook and Twitter. They see a problem, and they don't complain or get bitter, but they get creative and come up with solutions. They have initiative, and they have work ethic, and they have cooperation. They are talented, but they're inexperienced but they want to find creative ways to come up to, with their educational problems. Their teacher is also their mentor. Elisha does not say, come back during office hours. He is available for them. He isn't distant and esoteric, but he is practical, he is practical, accessible, and helpful. He doesn't say, you, you, you youngins, it's not your time, that's not how we do things here. We need to call a meeting, well, it's not against policy. He says, go. Elisha believes in what we call experiential learning. He wants his students to learn Egyptian math and Assyrian law, but he also wants them to learn Hebrew Bible and basic carpentry. He empowers them to solve their own problems. He says, go. Verse 3 and 4 says, one of them say to him, won't you please come with your servants? And Elisha says, I will. And he goes with them, and they go to the Jordan and begin to cut down trees. Not only do these young men have initiative, creativity, and work ethic, but they also have a respective and a cooperative spirit. And Elisha says, I will go. There is a working relationship between teacher and student. 
It's not an IU form of teacher-student relationship. It is cooperative and says, we. What are you talking about, preacher? It's a different model of education where the teacher can become the student and the student can become the teacher and we learn together. And Elisha goes with them and they go to the Jordan. And Elisha, the teacher, the principal, he gets his hand dirty and he begins to cut down trees. The old is being led by the young. The teacher is being led by the student and they work together to accomplish their common goal. Their goal is simply to expand their dormitories and their classrooms. They don't have to finance the repairs. They don't have to call a building inspector to check structural codes. They don't have to get a license to get the access or zoning permits to cut down trees. They are freely able to do what they need to do. Ah, uh, but verse 5 inserts tension into our narrative and brings the young and old to a critical moment and shows us one of the core outcomes of Christian education. Verse 5 says, as one of them was cutting down a tree, the axe head fell into the water. Oh, my Lord, he cries out, it was borrowed, it wasn't mine. They are gifted, they are talented, they are strong, and they are young. But they encounter a problem that they cannot fix, and they have a choice to make. But hear me, the problem isn't a spiritual one. It is a practical problem and a financial problem. The axe head was a practical solution to a practical problem. It's being used to cut down a tree. Whose wood that comes from the tree can be used to expand and upgrade space. The loss of the axe head will decrease productivity and increase what we call non-productive work time. Losing an axe head was a practical problem, but it also was a financial problem. <laughs> the young man says, I didn't have money to buy my own axe. I had to borrow it from a neighbor or from a friend. The loss of the axe would be a deficit or a loss to himself and his family. If I was in this situation and couldn't afford an axe, I would cry out too. What do you do when you're young and gifted, but you encounter problems in life? I told you that there is division within the country, and it is based, whether you believe it or not, upon generational differences and division. These young people have good reason not to trust Elisha. Oh, I'm going to get some of you older people upset. In the past, in Israel's history, whenever a young person was equipped by an older person, when, they, when the older person invested in their gifts, there usually were strings attached and jealousy. When Saul saw the gifts of David, he said, come to my palace. But he tried to nail him to a floor because the young person's gifts rebuked the older person's lack of peace. When Eli invested in Samuel, the Bible makes poetic differences between Eli's blindness and Samuel's light. But in more recent history, when Solomon, the wisest king on earth, invests in a young man, Jeroboam, a divided king results. It has to do with the wickedness of the king, yes, but also because the old cannot get along with the young. You're looking at me crazy. 
1 Kings chapter 11. The Bible says Jeroboam was a capable young man. And when Solomon sees that this young man is a good worker, he put him over all of the workers from the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. Jeroboam went to the right school, did all of his work. He has all of his credentials. He is capable and energetic. And when Solomon is building the temple, he sees that there's, there's this young man who goes to the right school, who has the right religion, and he invests in this young man. Jeroboam is on time for his shift. He shows up 15 minutes early. He works hard. He doesn't hide or take naps on work time. They're building the temple. If you've ever done construction work, you know that there are places to hide. But Jeroboam isn't like the other workers. He is productive and he is capable. And Solomon sees his productive work. But when the young man receives a message from a prophet that he will be king and that Solomon's sons will split the kingdom, Solomon, the most gifted and wise and talented man who ever lived, began to hate. In 1 Kings 11, verse 40, the Bible says that Solomon tries to kill Jeroboam, but Jeroboam runs away to Egypt, to Shishak, king of Egypt, and he stays there until Solomon dies. There is a division between old and young. And it got so bad that when Jeroboam comes back and encounters Solomon's son Rehoboam, he tries to reason with the new king to have a peaceful kingdom. Oh, the Bible says in, in 1 Kings 12 verse 8, Rehoboam, Solomon's son, rejects the advice of the elders and consults the young men that he grew up with. There is division between young and old. And it's going to split the kingdom. There's a reason why the, the young don't trust the old. The older generation acted like elevators when they really turned out to be haters. The shine of the young was so bright that the older people realize what it's like to be you. And since they're the one who think that they opened the door for you, they think that they can own you and that they control you. They are haters. They're like the boxing promoters who invest in you so they can manipulate you and take your money. And why are you getting your, your brains beat in? Never mind. They're like the record executives who put you on so they can get in your music video, Puff Daddy. They hand out record deals and put you on stage when you have more talent than they do. You think Aerosmith and J-Lo can sing and dance? How do you deal with your haters? You're young and you're gifted, and the old invest in you. But some of them have a hidden agenda. You want to know why they do it? Because they don't know how to deal with their haters. What are you talking about, preacher? Recently in South Dakota, Carl Erickson pled guilty, but mentally ill to second-degree murder and he was sentenced to life in prison. Brother, 73 years old, sentenced to life in prison. 
he was charged in the January 31st killing of a retired Madison High School teacher named Norman Johnson, who was shot twice in the face as he, answers, as he answered his front door. Carl knocked on this man's door. Norman answered the door, and he shot him twice in the face. It wasn't a crime of passion. It wasn't a case of mistaken identity. Carl shot Norman because he was bullied when he was in high school. In the locker room, a prank took place more than 50 years before. And when Norman answered his door, he didn't know what was going to happen. 50 years before, in a locker room, Norman put his jock strap over his head and embarrassed him in front of all of his friends. And he carried this hate for 50 years. They hadn't talked in years. He saw that Norman went on to college and went on and did a graduate degree and began serving his community. And because of something he did when he was young, gifted, and inexperienced, he carried that grudge around for 50 years. And he killed a man because he did not know how to deal with his hate. While the man had mental issues, the point is clear. His inability to deal with his hate led to him suppressing his hate until one day it boiled over. How do you deal with your haters? It will dictate how you deal with the problems that come in your life. They will either motivate you or degrade you. Young people who are gifted don't always know how to deal with haters. Thank God that the, that the young men in our story trusted the older prophet and began to cry out. You see, when Solomon got older, he reflected upon his life. He saw how he dealt with the young man Jeroboam. And he is basically apologizing for the mistakes and bad choices of, of his entire life in Ecclesiastes. And he says in, in chapter 12, verse 1, he tells the young people, he says, Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years of approach when you say, I find no pleasure in them. These young men who are working with Elisha cutting down trees are gifted, strong, and intelligent. But when a crisis hits, they need something more, something that their parents didn't teach them, something that their friends didn't teach them, something that their aunts and uncles didn't teach them. They need to learn from the lips and hands of a prophet. They're a group of young, gifted men and young men and women. As I began to look at this story, I, I was reminded of another, of another group of young people. A group of young people who were gifted, they were called X-Men First Class. The first two members of this special class were born in the early 40s. One was born in New York, while the other was born in Germany. They are both gifted and young, but neither trusts authority. One uses rage, the other tries to use serenity. When young Charles Xavier sees another young gifted girl named Raven, he says, I thought I was the only one. I thought that even though I'm gifted, I thought that I was different. 
But when young Eric Lancier, he's told that the only way to lock in his gift is to use anger and pain. Raven, she has blue skin, and she is self-conscious in her adolescent years. She is self-conscious because she has what is called a mutation. Actually, they all have mutations, but these mutations create gifts and talents that the world just can't understand. And they're trying to balance what it means to be gifted, young, and strong while being immature and inexperienced. A mutation is a variation or change in the genetic sequence that leads to changes in how the DNA and how the genes are expressed. And because of internal cellular changes, these young men become gifted beyond anyone's understanding, even their own. But the thing is, even though they're gifted and talented, they hide because they're trying to fit in, trying to be normal. What they needed was, wasn't to be incognito, what they needed was a school. A school where their differences could be understood. A school where their origins could be explained. A school where self-discipline could be cultivated. And that school was called the School for the Gifted. This first group of special mutants was called the first class, implying originality. This school was supposed to be original, not a carbon copy of other schools. A special school for a special people who are supposed to be inventors and innovators. They come to understand that you can be a small school with a small $5 budget, but still have million-dollar dreams. What, what they needed was a school. A school where they can be gifted and broke, but still have expensive taste. What they needed was a school. A school where it was explained to them that you have to have vision before provision, but all you need is a dream. At first, this school was a restrictive place. It was a government-approved place. And these young special mutants didn't know how to deal with their gifts and their haters. And it led them to engaging in immature behavior. Eric Lancier is holding on to so much hate and rage that he almost kills himself trying to get revenge. Another mutant subjected herself to stripping because her gift was underappreciated. She thought that if she could give herself away, then maybe her gift could be understood. Another mutant is imprisoned because he cannot control his gift. Another young mutant is working a dead-end job even though his gift is bigger than his position. They are not meant to be normal, but meant to be gifted. They can't learn it in the streets, but they have to come to a school. A school where they can harness their giftedness. But because they are gifted and young, the older adults say they're not ready. They're kids. They don't understand the bigger plan. Of course they're kids, they're young. They need mentors, they need a school where older people can mentor them and not hate on them and walk alongside them and teach them the way. You see, when we see our kids knowing how to use phones before they can talk, that doesn't mean that they're strange, it means that they're gifted. 
When we see young boys and girls playing the piano and liking classical music before they can walk, it means that they are gifted. When we see them memorizing and quoting scripture when, when we're fumbling and bumbling over chapter and verse, it means that they're gifted. What they need is a school. These young men in our story work along with Elisha because they go to the right school. They were students. Not at this mutant school, but at a school called the School of the Prophet. This school wasn't started by Charles Xavier, the first X-Men, but started by Samuel, a prophet, over a hundred years before. At this school, which isn't approved by the government, <laughs> they learned the Bible, they learned Hebrew, they learned salvation history, but they also learned things like gardening and carpentry and technology. They don't just learn how to use their mutant power, but they learn how to use their anointing and how to dedicate those gifts to God. This school has limited space because of high enrollment. This school is so tight, they have satellite campuses around the kingdom to facilitate distance learning. They enter to learn and depart to serve. At this school, they learn to trust Elisha, not just with their grades, but with their lives. But hear me. How can they trust and elevate when they've been burned by the previous generation and the example that you've set for me as an older person is flawed? Look at the mutants again. In X-Men first class, when they are attacked, their youth and their inexperience shows. And just like the Oklahoma City Thunder, when their gift and life was threatened by the realities of the real world, they almost died and cried out, like this man in our story. They had to make a choice. They made up in their minds that even though I'm young and inexperienced, I have to do something with my life. They said, even though I'm just a kid, and I might not be able to handle all of the complexities of the real world, I need the right school. Oh, and when they get the right school, when they get the right school, they go to a place where they can train and prepare and be educated. A place where they could learn how to control their gifts. A place where they could go to learn to control their inner urges. A place where they can go where they can learn how to deal with the crises of life. You see, inside of them are two natures struggling for dominance and expression. There is the gifted nature... And then there is human nature. And they need a school to work it all out. And the young man who would become Magneto, he tells Raven who's trying to fit in. He told her, if you use half your brain trying to protect yourself, you will fail. If you want society to accept you, then you have to accept yourself. If being gifted means being blue, then let yourself be blue and let everybody else adapt to you. You know, church, I've come to the place in my life where I don't want to fit the mode. I want to break the mode. Don't tell me what I can't do with my life. There are people in my graduate program who are 92 and 94 years old. And I don't have to be smarter than them. I just have to be as smart. And if they can do and overcome obstacles, what is there that I cannot do? 
They tell you that, that if you go to a public school, you're not sanctified. Then if you go to a Christian school, they say you're not hip and practical. I've been in public education, private education, and now I'm back in public education. And you know what? I've learned something. You have to get to the place where you're able to think for yourself. School is not meant to think for you, but to give you the tools to how to use your giftedness when real life comes up. I'm not going to try to fit so you can think I'm normal. Raven says, why should we have to hide? Don't you know that you're beautiful? Everything that you are, you're perfect. She said, look at us, all that we have achieved, all that we will achieve. We are different, and we shouldn't be trying to fit into society. Society should aspire to be more like us. She said, I'm mutant and I'm proud. When they believed in themselves, and when there was cooperation between the old and the young, they saved a country that did not believe in them, that did not understand them, that did not invest in them. But they were able to use their giftedness to shine and be of service to a world because they went to the right school. When these young men in our story face trouble and crisis, they go to their teacher to help them with the issue even though their previous teachers, leaders, and examples played the role of haters going back hundreds of years. They said, I believe in me. You don't have to believe in me. We, we can believe in each other. We don't have to be in competition with each other and our haters. They go to Elisha. Oh, God, help me, Jesus. He said, Elisha, it was borrowed. And Elisha said, where did it fall? He shows them the place. And Elisha cuts a stick and throws it in and makes the iron float. And he says, you lift it out. And the young man reaches in and takes it out. Elisha said, where did it fall? He said, show me your problem. He doesn't give them a lecture and say, I told you so. He said, where did it fall? He cuts a stick and throws it to the place of failure and said, where did it fall? When you come to me with your problems, I will not judge you for your issue, but I'll say, where did it fall? Even if we're in the right school on a field trip, you can come to me and I'll ask you, where did it fall? He makes the problem dissipate and the solution elevate. He said, where did it fall? They had the right school, oh, but thank God, not only did they have the right school, they had the right teacher. Thank God they had the right teacher. You see, all things are possible, whatever school you attend, if you have the right teacher. When we, in, when we invest in our schools, our teachers help gifted students, not with hate, but with creative, practical ways for students to shine themselves. When you have the right teacher, the teacher will let the ax head float and will let you pull it out and let you get the credit. All things are possible when you have the right teacher. Right teachers, they help crises evaporate. Right teachers, 
They help axe head escalate and an entire school celebrate when you have the right teacher. What they needed wasn't another gift. What they needed was the right teacher. You see, Elisha was the right teacher because he had the right teacher. Elisha learned at the hands of Elijah. The right teacher, when you have the right teacher, the teacher can distill polluted water with sodium chloride when you have the right teacher. When you have the right teacher, they can make oil divide to provide for your daily needs. When you have the right teacher, they can help impregnate barren wombs with a promised seed and then reimburse the seed when it's lost. All things are possible when you have the right teacher. The right teacher can make flour and take poisonous soup and make a banquet fit for kings. When you have the right teacher, the right teacher can take a loaf of bread and feed a hundred men. A hundred men without cream, cheese, or meat. When you have the right teacher, all things are possible. I don't know about you, but I am just like that axe head. I am gifted, useful, and relatively young, but I fall. I went to the right school. I had the right teacher, but I fall. And when I fell into the water, my teacher didn't give me a math equation about mass divided by volume to give me the density of my fall. My teacher simply said, where did he fall? He could have given lectures about my mutations and my gifts. He could have given instructions on how I can deliver myself. But the master teacher said, where did you fall? The master teacher cut off a piece of wood, and when I began to fall, all of my haters began to say that he's sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within seeking to rise no more. They called Magneto because he can pull metal out of water. But when they called Magneto, Magneto said, I am not able. They called Charles Xavier because he can read minds. But when they called Charles Xavier, he said, I am not able. They went down the line to Wolverine, Phoenix, and Storm, but all of them came back the same, and they said, I'm not able. They said that Joe is falling, and it seemed like death had won. But the master teacher said, where did he fall? Not only did he say, where did he fall, but he took action and cut a piece of wood. And this piece of wood was cut off, not for himself, but for the transgression of his people. He was cut off to make atonement. He was cut off to confirm a covenant. He was cut off to usher in everlasting righteousness. And when Jesus jumped into the water, he went to where humanity was sinking, and the young girl... When he went to the young girl who was falling, it seemed like death had won. He jumped into the water with the widow's son at name. It seemed like death had won. And the brother jumped into the deep end when he encountered Lazarus. And it seemed like death had won. And he goes all the way down to the bottom. And they declared that death had won. Ah, but that piece of wood was placed in a borrowed tomb trying to save a borrowed people, and they thought that death had won. All of the haters gathered around the tomb, and they said that death had won. He had been under for three days, and his brain was deprived of oxygen. All of the haters began to rejoice, but when they saw Jesus beginning to elevate, they didn't think that death won anymore. 
When Jesus came forth from the tomb, he brought all of the axe head with him, all of the failures with him. He brought me an eternal life in its train. And they were amazed because it wasn't hate. It was love that came from Christian parents. And Jesus jumped into the water, and when he saved me, it wasn't because I'm gifted. It was love that lifted me. When nothing else could help, Jesus jumped into the water and saved a wretch like me. He saved the young and the old. He saved student and teacher. Whether you have a GED or a PhD, he jumped in the water for you and for me. It's good to have the right teachers in the right schools. But when you face the problems of this life, sometimes you need more than your gifts and your degrees. You need to be able to reach back and deal with your mentors and your teachers. We need a savior that can help us when we fall. We need a savior that won't just point out the problem, but jump in, not with hate, but with love. And when our master teacher comes to us while we are falling, we can be lifted out of the water, and we can take our wounds and our gifts to be of service to the world. When Jesus jumps in the water for you and for me, you can be all that God created you to be, even if you're young, gifted, and inexperienced. Recently, the Miami Heat won the NBA championship. And it was something they had, they had planned for over 24 months. Back in 2010, LeBron James got with his buddies, none of which graduated from college. <laughs> and they got together and they said, we're young, we're gifted, we're rich and we're famous. Let's put our gifts together and win not one, not two, not three, not four, not five. Let's get together and win all of these NBA championships. And as soon as LeBron James signed on the dotted line, the older people began to hate. They begin to set his jersey on fire in the city of Cleveland. His former teacher and boss wrote him a scathing letter. And nobody carried more hate than LeBron James in 2010 and 2011. They called him a choke artist. They said that you're the best player on the planet, but you cannot rise when the situation calls for. He was constantly ridiculed by the Boston Celtics by Paul Pierce, who's saying you can't elevate when the situation calls for it. And you know, when he got beat by the Dallas Mavericks, they began to heap hate on him. And LeBron James tried to use hate to better his game. He said, all of you haters have to go back to your life. But when I wake, when I wake up tomorrow, I'm still going to be King James, and you're still going to be the pathetic who you are. But when he went back to the drawing board, during the lockout, he went down to Houston to get back to the basics with Akeem Olajuwon. And when the 2011-2012 season started, he still was using hate 
to motivate him. And the people kept heaping it on. They said, you're a loser. You're talented, you're gifted, but you're young. You will never be Kobe or Michael Jordan. And when he got down 2-1 to the 76ers, they began to hate. When he got down 3-2 to the Boston Celtics, I began to hate. And when they lost the first game of the NBA Finals, everybody said it's a wrap. And he began sinking. But he did what Elisha did. He jumped into the water and he said, I'm not going to use hate to better myself. I'm going to believe in my gifts and my talents and my team. Not only did he elevate, he rose above every person that hated on him. And hear me, he didn't do it with bitterness. And when they gave him the trophy, not only did they crown him champion, they crowned him most valuable player. And on Monday morning, they're going to crown him king. <laughs> He's going to have a coronation parade there in the streets of downtown Miami. LeBron James elevated and became champion, not because of the hate as motivation, but because he believed in himself and trusted his teachers. I don't know about you, but, but when Jesus came to this earth, he didn't come through natural ways. When he was a child, as a baby, they hated on him, tried to kill him. When he was 12 and came to camp meeting, they said, you didn't go to K through whatever. You didn't go to our schools. Where do you get the audacity to argue and discuss with us? They hated on him. And when he got to be a grown man, he said, I'm gifted and I'm anointed and I need a place for ministry. But they said, you did not go to the right school. And he said, I may not have gone to the right school, but I have the right teacher. The right teacher is my mother and my heavenly father. Jesus refused to use hate to accomplish his goals. And they hated on him until the very end, trying to get a rise out of him. When he was on the cross, they began to hate on him even more. And he refused to respond hate with hate. What he did was instead of hate, he gave love. And he said, even though you're falling, I will not use the hate that you heap on me to accomplish your salvation. I will believe in my own divinity and accomplish for you what you cannot accomplish for yourself. If you find yourself falling this morning and you need Jesus to jump in after you, you might be gifted, anointed, and talented, but you still need him to rescue you from the problems of your life. I invite you to stand to your feet. I'm going to pray a special prayer just for you. You need him to go to the place where you might be gifted, but you're limited. And it's not your degrees. It's not, it's not the degrees and letters behind your name. Who is your teacher? If you want God to be your personal tutor, I invite you to come to the front. I'm going to pray a special prayer just for you. You know some things about life, but you want Jesus to give you what, what we call a re-education. Whether you've graduated from kindergarten, elementary school, middle school, high school, or college, 
You want a re-education. You want some continuing education at the school of the master. Come to the front. I'm going to pray a special prayer just for you. And hear me. If you go to the right school, there is nowhere you cannot go. There is nothing that you cannot do with your life. Even while you're falling, people hate on you. They will be the ones that send you congratulations letters when you graduate. Bow your heads with me. Father in heaven, we look at our gifts. And Lord, because our gifts come from you, we, we might be a little strange. If we're three years old and have aptitude for classical music, that's not abnormal, that's brilliant. When we're two years old and knowing how to pray and singing those songs that we learned from our mother, that is anointing. Father, I ask that you comfort every person here under the sound of my voice that is young and gifted and talented. Give them a cocoon, give them a place, whether it's home, school, or church, where they can cultivate their giftedness in a place that is supportive, where they won't have to be in competition with older generations, but learn how to believe in themselves and to be in cooperation with the wider world. Father, if LeBron James can do it, we don't have to be better than him. We just have to be as smart. If Shaquille O'Neal can get a PhD, what is there in this life that we cannot do? We don't have to be smarter, just as smart. We don't have to be better than anybody, just be the best us. And when we are the best us, we will elevate over all of the haters in our lives, and it will be love and not bitterness that motivates us. Father, I thank you for all of the accomplishments and credentials that are gathered here in this building. And everyone that is connected to these people as they celebrate. Father, I ask that you give them your stamp of approval. Let them know that you love them and please with them whether or not they graduated. And Father, we thank you for your son for jumping in and rescuing us. And for doing for us that which we cannot do for ourselves. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in your son's name. God bless you. God bless you. It's time for the closing prayer, so can everyone please stand? Please bow your heads for prayer. 
Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this Sabbath and thank you for bringing us all together for church. And I pray that you will help us to get a good message out of the sermon. Um, I pray that we will leave this church um, with changed minds and changed hearts. And I pray that um, you will help us um, all to come back next week. And um, thank you for loving us and protecting us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.